Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Today, we'll be talking about the European Union's latest fiscal regulations, a topic that's been making waves in the world of economics and policy over the last few months in the EU. The new fiscal framework aimed to reshape how member states manage their finances with a focus on fiscal discipline and sustainability. Uh, to discuss this subject, we are joined by Vincent uh, Zizemer from the Institute for Public Economies. Uh, from, and actually, the Institute is based in The Hague in the Netherlands. So, Vincent, great you're joining us today. Hi there. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And uh, let me welcome as well Raymond Torres, Funcas Europe Director. Hello, Raymond. Hello. Happy to join as well. Fantastic. So, Vincent, perhaps we can, we can start this conversation um, thinking of how the new framework is different from the previous one. We've had the previous framework for uh, literally decades until the framework was, was uh, suspended in the pandemic. But the new one, how, how does it differentiate from the, from the previous one? Um, right, that's a good question, actually. I mean, I think um, there's been a couple of iterations of, of the previous framework. Um, and, and so one thing that is tricky when talking about these frameworks, um, there's always sort of how does the framework work on paper and then, and then what does it do in reality? Um, but I think the, the, the part of the, the old framework that really had bite was essentially the, the 3% uh, norm, um, which would essentially just say, uh, you know, countries shouldn't um, exceed a, a deficit of, of 3% uh, unless, uh, you know, one of several sort of escape clauses is, is activated. Um, and this had a problem that um, essentially it causes kind of, you know, pro-cyclical um, cuts in, in, in kind of austerity at the wrong moments uh, uh, because, you know, it, it, even, even if you have fairly sound fiscal policy, um, you're going to have, uh, you know, downturns where um, your bottom line deteriorates and then you end up having to make cuts according to this rule. And so I think that was sort of a major uh, concern that, that, uh, that was set out to, to, to resolve. Um, but of course, uh, these norms are still in the treaties <laughs> or in, in, in annexes to the treaties. And so um, what the new rules now try to do is essentially set up this forward-looking framework um, where uh, member states hand in plans sort of ahead of time, uh, saying the next uh, four years or the next seven years, uh, we're going to um, you know, follow a certain expenditure path, um, corrected for any discretionary tax policy, and then we're essentially just going to stick to that. Um, and you know what uh, sort of the balance the, the government budget does at the end of the day will vary, of course, with the economic circumstances, but we're gonna, in terms of policy at least, stick with the plans that we made. 
uh, and so that sort of vacates the need to have these these um, these interventions um, uh, sort of on the way. Um, but of course, it's a little bit tricky how that works in practice because uh, one, um, yeah, the three percent rule is still there, uh, and two. Um, a lot of sort of especially northern european i guess you could say member states uh, are somewhat concerned about only having sort of this forward-looking nature and so they're trying to get all kind of safeguards into this reform and some of those safeguards might bring back some of the old problems and i think that's kind of the uh, the, the sort of the outstanding um, uh, point of debate all right vincent so raymond any comments on on how this framework differentiates from the previous one Mm -hmm. Well, I think Vincent has described very well in very, very few words, actually, the, the, the novelty of the, of the new, new rules. I would add only two points. One, on the positive side, that uh, one of the elements of flexibility, besides the less procyclicality of the new rules vis-à-vis -vis the older ones, or uh, taking into account country-specific uh, circumstances, I think there is also the acknowledgement of uh, reform efforts, so countries that... Uh, uh, you know, do do reforms uh, will, will be given a bit more, a bit longer adjustment periods uh, for for you know uh, cutting deficits or adjusting uh, budget balances. Uh, so the, the the fact that the reforms are taken into account, I think, is 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 is, is a step in the right direction. Something which is not done in the in the new rules, um, which probably would be needed, is to take into account, and this was suggested, you know both before, but also in the discussion of the new rules, to take into account uh, in, in investing in particular green investment, which is, uh, has, you know, is, is, is a major, not only a major goal for the EU as a whole, but actually a, a, a major need anyway, because also for reasons of competitiveness, the need for energy transition, less dependence on, on um, you know, imported uh, uh, gas or oil, etc. And so, and and it's difficult to see how how this can be accommodated in the in the, in the new rules. I mean, I don't think there is a proper acknowledgement of the need for that. So I would say, on the negative side, I would put this. And in addition to to all that, the uh, in a way, the 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 reformed rules are are you know would 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 actually be very useful. Um, let's say a few years ago, would have been very useful to have them. But they, they don't quite take into account, as a more general point, the, the changes in, in geopolitical environment and the fact that, um, you know, if we focus excessively on, on what each country can be doing, we may forget what is needed at the EU level as a whole. And, uh, and that's, that's something which, in a way, was not part of the mandate of the, of the reform of fiscal rules, but it has become a big issue, a big uh, budget issue, in a way. Um. I think, Vincent, I would love you to react to what Raymond said because he's he's saying that this this framework is not is not the right one in terms of the need for green investments and in terms of the the current geopolitical challenges Europe is facing. What is your what is your take on that specific? I I, I think that's that's a good point. So a couple of things I think I would like to add to this. I mean, one is just a very basic one that indeed. You know these fiscal rules. Um, I mean, other than the three percent rule, the really, the really sort of the cornerstone of, of the old rules and, and kind of 
unfortunately also the part of the rules that is legally hard to amend um, is the 60% rule, right? So essentially just saying, okay, well, member states should have a debt to GDP level below 60%, but sort of any rule that aims to achieve that will severely restrict fiscal space uh, for many countries, uh, simply because, you know, they're currently above uh, and interest rates have recently risen. Uh, and at the same time, they're facing a whole host of challenges indeed. And this might be, you know, supporting Ukraine. This might be uh, a sort of a, a greater demand to do industrial policies. Uh, you know, there's climate, uh, there's really any number of issues that, you know, really call for a trade-off, I would say, between um, fiscal prudence, because of course, like everything else equal, uh, it's of course nice to have low debt levels. Uh, but, you know, everything else will not be equal uh, when you, you face political realities where, you know, carbon pricing is difficult to achieve, uh, where your economy competes with others and so on. And so, um, yeah, I think sort of the original sin in a way of, of, of these rules is, is, you know, a fairly one-sided focus on, on, on debt to GDP levels. And yeah, that is not going anywhere uh, in this reform. Yeah. What, what about the... Um the broader impact that you anticipate of of this new framework into the European economy and financial markets and the and the needs for investment in climate, Raymond. What what about what about this this perspective? The the, the fiscal rules anyway they had to be reactivated. So let me let me be clear and very much in line with what Vincent is saying is that we, we needed new rules. I mean it, we couldn't just continue with uh, the rules in suspension. I mean, there was there was an important. I mean, it was important to reactivate uh, fiscal rules. Uh, that, uh, in other words, the the, the 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 objective of reducing imbalances, reducing public debt levels, and so on. I mean, they, this was this was important. Now that said, um, the the you know the, the the impact of the new rules. I mean, have to be seen in the broader context of um, a complete change in uh, in monetary policy, which was necessary because of the. The inflation shock, and um, and I would say, the if 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 not the rules, the markets themselves will force uh, national governments to uh, adjust uh, uh, on their public finances because, uh, according to the calculations we have made, uh, in in most if not all uh, EU countries, the in, in interest rates on on new bonds that will be issued this year by all EU countries or most EU countries will be higher than the interest rates on the bonds and debt which comes to maturity also this year. So in other words, there is a dynamic of um, coming from markets themselves or higher interest payments, which other things equal will force countries to uh, make, make efforts to contain a fiscal policy. So uh, it was probably the case already last year and, and maybe also I think this year that fiscal policy overall May, may tend to be uh, either neutral vis-à-vis -vis the cycle or even um, contractionary vis-à-vis -vis the cycle. So uh, in a, at, at a time when some EU countries, are, may, maybe not all, but some EU countries are facing a difficult time. They're facing over, they're, they're um, bordering recession in many cases. So it's, it's uh, I would say, one of the impacts may be that it, it may exert some recessionary forces in in the in the short term, uh, even though in the longer run, I mean it's it's a good thing that uh, there is a move towards fiscal balance. So I would say the test will be whether the adjustment 
uh, of fiscal balances will be gradual enough and careful enough in terms of the mix of measures which will be adopted in order not to jeopardize growth in the medium term. So that would, I would say the impact will, de will depend very much on the management of these, of both the timing of the fiscal adjustment, but also on the mix of measures to achieve fiscal adjustment, and, and third, also on the extent to which EU countries manage to agree on some EU-wide action, either a fiscal buffer or some sort of program uh, to, to deal with what Vincent was doing before, some industrial policy to, to meet overall goals of uh, digital and, and green adjustment. Pinson, any, any comments on the, the impact for the, uh, the broad economy? Uh, yeah, so maybe one thing that is interesting to, uh, to, to, to talk about maybe is sort of the fact that there is a difference between how fiscal rules in general, and not just the EU ones, but, but fiscal frameworks in general, um, sort of look at spending and investment and how um, you know they actually sort of affect the economy and, and, and presumably also how financial markets see them. Uh, so, for example, take the issue of climate. Um, you know, you have all these member states that have committed um, to actually achieving climate goals. And I think it's quite credible that, that they will have to uh, somehow um, get there, you know. But most current policy plans wouldn't actually, uh, at least as far as I can oversee, uh, certainly the one here that we have here in the Netherlands, you know, we're, we're, I mean, we, we have some plans. <laughs> somewhat forward-looking plans to, to achieve climate targets, but, you know, there's still going to have to be a lot of work uh, to get to net zero in 2050. Uh, and so then what fiscal rules do is they will look at this and they will say, well, you know, we just look at your current policies and if you do more uh, climate policies and you, you spend money on that, that, that's bad for your fiscal position because, you know, your debt is going to go up uh, and, and, and so that's not great. But of course, the question is kind of what is the alternative, right? Because if the alternative is that um, you know, we don't uh, take the necessary steps now, but then kind of in 10 years we scramble and we come up with much more expensive climate policies to somehow uh, get to, to climate goals, or we wreck our economy doing uh, crazy stuff at the last minute, sort of, uh, then, um, you know, that is actually much worse uh, for, for sort of medium-term development, uh, precisely because it's going to hurt the economy or because you're going to have inefficient policies. Um, and, and so I would say one thing that'll be really interesting to study is kind of like how um, are we going to incorporate these kind of reforms and these kind of uh, targets uh, when, we, when, when we start using these fiscal rules. So we, we, cannot, we cannot get it both, like we cannot get fiscal stability and climate goals. These are incompatible... Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a there is a sort of questions like where, what is your what is your baseline when you when you look at um, when you look at when when you start implementing these rules, right? So if you say uh, okay, in principle, uh, countries are going to have to uh, to meet these climate targets, and we're going to count on the fact that this will co cost them some money. Um, then you know, doing it earlier or doing it more efficient or whatever actually looks like a good idea, and it's something that. Um, uh, sort of makes your p fiscal position better, uh, but if the way uh, the way most fiscal frameworks work today is is rather the opposite, which is just to say, well, you might have all these climate plans, but we don't care, uh, and whatever uh, climate policies you, you undertake are just going to make your fiscal position worse. 
uh, and so they introduce a certain bias, right? And then there's a certain, um, uh, yeah, they, they sort of, in a sense, um, disincentivize governments from uh, meeting their targets in a timely manner because whatever you push away into the future uh, kind of doesn't, you know, hurt your, hurt your fiscal position today. I, I would say, uh, to, to, to complement what you're saying, Vincent, is that uh, it depends on what uh, time period you're looking at. In the short term, it seems there's a trade-off, as, as you say. But of course, in the longer term, uh, if not taking sufficient action on the environment side implies that our economies will, uh, will suffer one way or the other, <laughs> then actually the two, the two goals in the medium term or in the long term they, they may actually coincide somehow. And so it's, it's very much how, how, how in the short term we manage to, at the same time, uh, take into account the, the, you know, the environmental target, but uh, taking due, co due, due, due account also the fiscal balances. I think a, a very good example for, would be now the, what happens in, in countries like France now or some other countries, some other EU countries where you have farmers basically reacting to some of the side effects of uh, environmental policy, so in a way, uh, they're saying that the constraints or the, the you know some of the the taxes or regulations in order to comply with uh, environmental taxes have a cost, and what they're saying is that they need to be compensated for those costs somehow. And they they also have other claims, but this is one claim which is common to to most uh, demonstrations that we see today. And if if governments do not do that. Uh, do not uh, compensate in our, in our increased spending and therefore possibly uh, uh, deficits. Uh, they, uh, it, may, it may jeopardize the environmental targets because they, must, they may have to relax the environmental targets because simply there will be too much opposition. And so we have a clear example of this trade-off in the short term. And, and uh, it's one of the difficulties we're facing, certainly. I have one one last last question here for us to cover today and looking a long term in the potential long term implications on the stability and cohesion of the European Union. Do you can you foresee any challenges for stability and cohesion once we when we apply these new rules? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean. The calculations I've seen resulted in impressive differences <laughs> between what uh, what was asked of countries. With uh, I think in some instances, um, member states being asked to to make corrections of four percent of GDP or something in uh, uh, in spending. Yeah, I mean th these would be dramatic interventions. So in that sense, uh, it is a little bit concerning or a little bit. Uh, yeah, you do sort of wonder how is this going to pan out, right? If you uh, if you suddenly have a new system with rules that that force countries to make sort of serious uh, course corrections, yeah. yes, on the on the on the cohesion side, by the way, I I think that if uh, let's say if the if if the rules if the rules are implemented in very strictly, let's say, and you know, depending on how these flexibility uh, clauses can be used, but if the if if the rules are applied very strictly, it's clear that some countries according to the calculations, uh, have very, very little room for maneuver for fiscal policy. Uh, they have very little um, either to react to shocks or to take into account what we were saying before, the green, the green goals, or, um, or to uh, face the, 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 the various you know, changes in the ge geopolitical environment. Uh, whereas other countries, 
do have more fiscal space and actually they're using it but they're using it in a way which may not necessarily be the most productive um, even for the EU as a whole or, or for themselves for example by relaxing as happens now state aid rules so uh, what happens at the moment is that in order to uh, uh, you know, face the, the somehow the competition coming from the, for example, the IRA in the US. It's possible to uh, uh, use some exceptions, state day rules in the EU, uh, uh, whereby countries can provide support to particular enterprises or sectors that face a challenge vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, th those uh, uh, subsidies which are provided by the US. And this is possible to do in countries that do have fiscal space. They, have, they, can, have, they can have recourse to the state aid rules, uh, to the state aid, and not other countries. And so uh, one of the challenges is if the, the rules, are, you know, the fiscal rules, are not supplemented with some EU-wide policy or EU-wide action, is that we may see a proliferation of the use of state aid rules, which may distort even the, the single market, and uh, without necessarily boosting competitiveness of the EU as a whole. So I would, I would add that as one of the challenges. That said, I mean, the worst uh, has been avoided in the past. And I would say I would be reasonably optimistic that uh, it, it can be avoided this time again. And possibly after the EU elections, we may find a way to, to combine um, thinking, you know, and, 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 and policy at the EU level to, to remedy this particular problem. I think this, this makes sense. Let's bring back the, the, the subject and the discussion after the EU elections and see where we are. Um, I think we're, we're good to go. We covered a lot in uh, 20 minutes. So I think I'd like to thank Vincent Ziesemer, director at the um, Institute for Public Economies at The Hague. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Excellent. And Raymond Torres, Funka's Europe Director. Thank you, Raymond. Thank you very much. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funka's Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all, and stay well. Thank you.